Beautiful. So are you feeling Easter yet? We've got a few lilies up here. I have a feeling I'm going to feel even more like Easter morn on May 2nd. <laughs> when we will rise up again. So we have, we're, we've been talking about the life of Jesus as a metaphor for awakening that has certain parts that everyone who awakens in this life goes through. And last week we really focused on the, the calling, the initial awakening, and then the tests that tend to follow. And so after Jesus passed those tests on the mountain, the temptations of what we call Satan, just like the Buddha had to deal with Mara, he came down from the mountain and he preached and he teached and he shared his love and he shared his wisdom and he shared his healing and sometimes it was received and sometimes it was not. But that didn't matter. He did what was his to do. Y'all, that's what happens when we awaken to something larger than our ego selves. We realize that there's something inside us that's more important than how the world around reacts to us. We start living from the inside out instead of taking a poll of everyone outside and trying to figure out how we should live inside. And that's what Jesus did. And it didn't always work. I'm going to read from Matthew. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get his wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters here with us? Where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town and in his own home. It says he did not make many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So I put this to you, especially those of you who might be having a family dinner on Easter Sunday. No matter what we've, how we've changed, no matter what we've gone through, no matter what the transformation is in our lives about a new way of living and a new way of being, when we go back to the people who knew us when, they will try very hard to get us back into our box their way of seeing us. And this is very hard to fight against. And as humans, what we mostly do is comply. <laughs> you know, treat me like a child. I'm going to start acting like a child. Because I'm growing up and you don't even recognize how spiritual I am. <laughs> we do that. We do that. And so a test for us today is to simply keep breathing and keep being who we are, regardless of what anyone around us does. Regardless of what anyone around us does, whether they're friend or foe, whether they're family or stranger. At this point, we have been called. You wouldn't be here, you wouldn't be watching this church service if there was not something within you that says, there's something higher than this life I've been living and I want to find it. We have been called. We have awakened to some degree or other to the world of spirit beyond the world of form. And we're being tested all the time, in case 
you haven't noticed, we're being tested all the time. Not that we pass or fail the test when we go to heaven or hell, no. But when we pass the test, we tend to live in heaven right now. We live in peace. We live without defending ourselves. We live and let live. We don't have to change anybody else. Or, if we fail the test, we go to hell. Whatever the arguments are, whatever the arguments are, or maybe we do it silently, but we just retreat back into our own old selves and we don't speak from the truth from who we are. Now, I'm not talking about speaking truths that you know will offend the people around you. I'm talking about being who you are in the face of whatever, whether everybody agrees with you or they don't, whether everybody sees you they don't. You know who you are. That is the most valuable thing. That's passing the test and that's living in heaven. Or you can choose to have a few minutes or a few hours of hell. It's your choice. But no one's going to punish you later for it. That is the punishment. <laughs> Giving up yourself and having a hellish time, is that is hell. Right here, right now. You choose. And then what happened with Jesus as he continued to do his teaching, as he continued, because it's not like, okay, now I know everything I need to know, I'm going to go teach it. What I know as a teacher, and I'm not just talking about as a preacher teacher, but when I was a voice teacher, when I was a school teacher, when I, <laughs> when I taught how to remediate mold, um, what I found is that in teaching, the fundamentals became clearer and clearer to me. My understanding expanded, expanded and broadened throughout the time of my teaching. And my curiosity was constantly piqued. So I was constantly investigating a little further to see what worked, what didn't, what's the right. And this is, I, I just have to imagine, this is exactly what Jesus did on the road. He was on the road, he was teaching, he was preaching, and he was learning. He was learning from the tests of life. He was learning from the people in his life. He was learning maybe how he wanted to be in the world, and probably he was learning a lot about how he definitely didn't want to be in the world. We learn all the time. And so Jesus was growing, I like to think, and deepening, and moving toward a transfiguration. And there was a point in his teaching, in his life, when people began to recognize him as really different from how they had known him before. Even his disciples who had been with him all along. There came a day when um, he took them up onto a mountain, and here's what it says in the scripture. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transformed before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came and touched them and said, Get up, don't be afraid. Now what comes to my mind when I read that scripture is 
Did Jesus turn into white light? Or did the disciples suddenly get the understanding and the capability of seeing the truth, of seeing a larger truth? That this is not just a guy, the Messiah who's going to come and lead our, our chosen people out of slavery. But maybe this is a bigger message and this is something more. And this is a message directly from God. And we are able to receive those messages directly as well because we are all one spirit. Did Jesus turn bright and shiny? Or were they suddenly able to see how bright and shiny not only Jesus but all of us are? That is seeing God in every face. Seeing the truth that is surrounded by all kinds of lies. The lies of how we dress, the lies of how our bodies look, the lies of how we think about ourselves, the lies of the corners that our cultures have backed us into, the lies that we're told to us by our families. None of those are the truth of us. The shining spirit is the truth of us. And so when we can endeavor to see past all that in another, we are seeing God in every face. And we can, when we can start to see past that around ourselves, and know ourselves for who we are. Bright, shining spirit. That is the beginning of a transfiguration. And even after being transfigured, Jesus knew that he was going to be, he knew something bad was going to happen. He could feel the political climate closing in on him. First it was just the, the Jewish teachers, the priests, and the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, who had an investment in keeping the status quo, that he upset. The people loved him, the plain old people. But after Palm Sunday, when the people said, Yay, he's here, he's coming! Woo! Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us! Is what the cry meant. And then he didn't bring an army. And he didn't knock down Pilate, go after Caesar, declare Jews free from the Roman Empire. He didn't do any of those things that, that they wanted him to do. He didn't say, stop paying taxes. He didn't say, um, I'm leading you physically out of slavery. It's a different kind of kingdom is what he told Pilate. When Pilate asked you the king of the Jews, it's like, this is not, this is not my kingdom. This is not my kingdom. The kingdom of the heart, the kingdom of the spirit, the kingdom of life. That was Jesus' kingdom. And the people eventually didn't want, realize, well, that's not what I want. I want my life to be nicer today by having things physically better for me, living in a better home, having people not tell me what to do, whatever. The political climate at the time they weren't ready for a spiritual awakening. What they wanted was a political renewal. And so he faces his death. And he tells his disciples in John, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and even greater things than these. I read that a little earlier. And then he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. 
I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So when he says, I don't give as the world gives, when I say I'm giving you my peace, I mean you can claim that complete peace within your own heart, your own soul, your own home. There may be war. That doesn't disturb your peace. I didn't come here to control everybody so they would stop war because controlling people from the outside only ever starts more wars because nobody wants to be told what to do. But if we all have this peace within that tells us we're just fine as we are, think of what could happen. Think of the revolution that would be. And so what comes next after this time of teaching, of transfiguration, of really becoming, of settling into this new person that you're becoming, this new spirit that is inhabiting the body, at some point, what we're asked to do is relinquish the whole thing. Let go of the body and be brave enough to face the world of spirit, which is known and yet very, very unknown to us. And so Jesus relinquishing was not pretty. He didn't want to be tortured. He didn't really want to die. He still had people that he was attached to and that he loved on this planet, but he was willing. And for us, we can undergo these as we relinquish parts of our egos. Relinquish our whole egos. I don't believe we can live in this world just like as in function on a day-to-day -day basis if we don't have some ego. So when we relinquish our whole ego, we almost have to relinquish our bodies. And that's what he did. And then what this morning was about. Well, when he surrendered, let's say this, he surrendered and he did not defend. You know, in a story, Pilate really wanted to set him free. He could see clearly that this was a man of God. He could see clearly that this was a nonviolent man. He could see clearly that there was something, that he was telling the truth. That there was no, he wasn't a con man. And he wasn't a criminal. And he kept going back to the Jews over and over saying, but are you sure? Because you say these things about him, but I haven't heard any of it from him. And so Pilate finally asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, well, that's what they say. But this is not my kingdom. And he refuses to defend himself. He just stands in who he is. He is ready to let it all go. The only thing that needs to defend is the ego. When we relinquish our ego, we no longer need to defend, hey, I am what I am. You are who you are. And that has no effect on the truth of me. And yes, his physical body hurt and suffered and died. And Easter morning is about Jesus' demonstration that it is possible to transcend the earthly experience. It's possible to transcend this life. So not just in his death, 
but in his resurrection. We'll talk about that. So in John, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Sunday morning, Easter morning, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So they ran around. They ran to see, oh, he really is gone. She was a woman, so they had to make sure. They ran to tell the other disciples, and she stayed there weeping. And she saw these two angelic uh, people inside the tomb. And they asked her, why are you crying? And she said, they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. And then someone walked up behind her, and he said, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you were looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. I always thought this was one of the weirdest things. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Aramaic, Rabboni, which means rabbi, teacher. She understood that this person was her teacher. And Jesus said, no, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So here's what this tells me. I know there's a lot of, did Jesus really resurrect? Can a body be dead for three days and then come back alive? Um, I'm not going to argue that point because I don't think that's the point. I will say that the fact that they did not recognize him meant something. He didn't come back looking just like he did look. The disciples didn't recognize him. As he walked through town, people didn't recognize him. He had to tell him. He had to tell them who he was. And in Paul, who admittedly never met Jesus, Paul says, of course the resurrection body is going to look different from, you know, just as a, a, an oak tree looks different from an acorn. Can't plant something in the ground and have it come back looking exactly as it looked before. There was something different. Was it a spiritual body? Was it a spirit? Was he inhabiting another body? I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is, Something happened that freaked people out and that they're still talking about 2,000 years later. And I think the point is that Jesus had to say, whether it was just signs through speaking to them in spirit, he wanted it to be known that death is not the end. Not just not the end for him because he's God, but not the end for any of us because we're spirit, we're not body. We have bodies. We love and cherish our bodies. We certainly cherish the bodies of those whom we love. And when we lose those bodies, we mourn them. They have been the temple that we have interacted with for all these years. They have been the face that we touched or the hand that we held. But what we know is a person is not a face or a hand. A person is a soul, is a spirit. And we cannot lose that. We're used to seeing that spirit in this face, in these hands, in this body. And we're not going to see them that way again. But it doesn't mean we won't see them. It doesn't mean we won't hear them. 
doesn't mean they're gone. It means maybe they're somewhere else. Or maybe they're right here and we no longer have eyes to see. So I would say, did Jesus really resurrect? In some way, I believe he did. It doesn't matter what way. Because we get to learn from this demonstration that life is more than the body. And remember that Jesus' message, and I think the only reason he came back to say that was to remind them the teaching wasn't me. The teaching is not the teacher. The teaching is the teaching. The teacher just happens to be the place where it's coming through. It's not me. You haven't lost, you've lost me, Jesus, but you haven't lost the teaching. You haven't lost what I've taught you. You haven't lost the truth. And not only that, he's very beautiful that he says, my father's going to send down a spirit. Well, I believe that's his description of that spirit within us who knows the truth. Our consciousness, our, our higher self, our conscience, our whatever. There is this part of us that knows the truth. And he's saying, that will be with you always. You can't get away from it. You can ignore it, but you can't get away from it. And to remind you what he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all you, the, the spirit of truth, the Father within, whatever you want to call it, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And a second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we take nothing else from this Easter morning but that, to see God in our own faces and in everyone else's, then we are in heaven right now, I promise. Let's take that into meditation for just a moment. So just breathe. Remember that your body is the sanctuary of your spirit. Any worried thoughts, let them go for this moment. Do a quick body scan if anything is hurting. Just focus your attention there for a minute. And see if you can let the tension leave. Focus your attention and let go of the tension. And as you breathe, simply be aware.
when we hear ourselves arguing with ourselves about which is right and which is wrong. Who hears that argument? We often think we need to side with the right one, not with the wrong one. What I would say is that we're beyond that. We're the person standing behind the argument. The spirit that sees and hears and understands that that is part of our earthly work. There's only one love. It's here and it belongs to us. We can rest in it on this Easter day. And so it is. <laughs>